Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stansel. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Welcome back to the Farm Bits Podcast for our 29th episode. It's hard to believe we're already 29 episodes in. While we're in the middle of our planting series, please take a minute to fill out our podcast survey linked in the show notes to provide feedback to our team on how to improve the podcast. As we dive into the fourth episode of the planting series, we'll be talking to David Brown, Director of Engineering at Pivot Bio. David joins the podcast with a background in physics, holding a PhD in applied physics from the California Institute of Technology, and also with experiences working with the U.S. Department of Energy and other companies such as Google X. Pivot Bio started in 2019 with an in-field solution for biological nitrogen fixation. One of Pivot Bio's most widely available products is Proven, a biological product that converts atmospheric nitrogen into plant-available nitrogen and applied at planting in furrow. We chose to include Pivot Bio in this series because of the application timing for the proven product. Though their product is intended to supply nitrogen to the crop throughout the growing season, getting the microbial communities well established at planting is critical to their success. In this episode, we'll cover some of the basics of biologicals, how Pivot Bio is evaluating the effectiveness of their products, and how they are seeking to understand the G by E by M interaction with their products. With that introduction, let's get started on our interview with David. So I'm a physicist by training. I got my PhD in applied physics at Caltech. And after that, I, I got switched into agriculture when I was working in the government. And I got very interested in agriculture as a means to uh, manage the planet and manage for sustainability. Um, and, uh, after stopping at, uh, Google X and starting the mineral, um, robotic, uh, plant phenotyping project, I went on to pivot bio because I really was well aligned with their mission of, uh, improved sustainability and profit for the farmer through, uh, biological nitrogen management. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so coming from that physics background and, and kind of stepping into pit bio, what exactly is your role and, and, you know, how are you able to kind of use that physics background and what you're doing today? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my physics background helps me a lot because uh, as a physicist, you learn and focus a lot on measuring things. And, uh, you know, I found in agriculture, there's a lot of uh, measurement problems to solve and a lot of data to analyze. And so, um, you know, my team, I'm the director of engineering for field technology at Pivot Bio. Um, What we do is scout new technology that can help measure our product performance, ranging from the greenhouse all the way to the commercial field, test that product, test that technology out, whether that be uh, a data science tool or uh, a UAV sensor, uh, and analyze that data, providing answers uh, about what technology we should use, as well as how well are our products doing uh, in the field. So there has been a lot of buzz about biological products. We hear about them a lot just in conversations. Do you mind giving just a high level overview of biologicals and a little bit how they work or what they do? Yeah. So uh, biologicals are basically products that are made out of microscopic life, whether that's a bacteria or fungi that can uh, interact with the crop so that it'll do better. 
So just like you have a microbiome in your gut that helps you process food, the plant has microbes inside of it, as well as in uh, the zone around its roots that help it get nutrients and, and protect it from disease and function well. And so biologics are all, all about altering that uh, gut microbiome of the plant so that it helps the crop do better. Interesting. So, so a lot of these products, I guess, are, or at least like the main product that's out there for pivot bio right now is proven. Right. And so that's, that, that kind of goes on as kind of applied uh, at planting then and and survives in the soil throughout the growing season. Is that kind of the idea? Uh, We're actually uh, proven. The proven product is an infero treatment. Okay. Um, So it goes on with your starter fertilizer. Um, and, uh, you know, and then it gets into the root zone and the seeds and it, uh, colonizes that plant root as it grows and grows with that plant providing, uh, more and more nitrogen. And that plant, um, could put as much as 20% of its photosynthate of its sugar that it's fixed, um, from light into the root zone. And so we're taking a fraction of that and making it more useful, um, to the plant and then also to the farmer. Awesome. So, so is that really the value then of, of biologicals is just kind of taking advantage of some of those uh, natural processes and, and kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, creating uh, the material that people are usually paying m- more money for in synthetic fertilizer then? Well, for with proven, that's definitely the, uh, uh, what we're thinking. You know, there's definitely biologicals that are, you're starting to think about, you know, there's a complex biological community. And there's people asking the question is how does a biological maybe influence the community as a whole so that uh, it protects against disease by making it more robust or um, helps uh, increase the soil carbon levels. Uh, and that's, that ends up being more of a research question because it's a lot more difficult to affect a community than to make a microbe yeah. that does a single function as a pivot bio has proven does. Um, but, uh, but I think that is one of the big futures for biologicals. So what is the primary barrier to adoption of this technology? And how are you trying to overcome some of that with maybe the testing or the research you're doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the biggest barrier is, is applications technology, right? Hmm. So bioproven is an inferro. Uh, you know, uh, it's one thing to find a bacteria that fixes nitrogen. It's another thing to manufacture it at scale, <laughs> ship it out to a customer, have them put it in their field and have it still be alive, that it didn't evolve. Hmm for that. And so we do a lot of work to figure out how to scale it up and then get it out in the field in our inferral formulations. And we're, we have a whole formulation team that's constantly trying to figure out new ways uh, and better ways to get um, our product into the field. Sure. So, so that's, you know, that's one side of the effectiveness of biologicals, but then the other side, right, I'm sure is, is trying to evaluate, um, how you're getting, or I guess what rates you're putting the product out there, where you're, where you're placing it. Um, and just generally, I mean, there's a lot of data to collect to get to the bottom of this. So what are some of the ways that you're using digital technology to evaluate how these biologicals are performing out in the field? Yeah. Yeah. So um, with digital technology, that means we're mostly looking at um, end of season data, uh, especially around yield. You know, we do trials where we look at different rates of application to make sure that we figure out, you know, what is the minimum rate at which we get a consistent uh, effect from the product. Uh, and so we can see that, you know, obviously in the yield data that comes off the combine. Uh, we're also looking at, you know, how uniform 
is that yield, right? We, we're wanting to reduce and we've seen reductions in uh, variability uh, in yield due to proven. And, uh, you know, we want to find a rate that will make sure that all of our farmers are getting a consistent, all of our grower customers are getting a consistent amount of effect from the product. Sure. Mm-hmm. And are there any other measurements you're doing? Because I'm sure there's some things that are like long-term, right? How is this going to affect the soil long-term? What are some other things that you're looking at besides just... Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, less from a precision agronomy perspective, um, I mean, we are doing uh, uh, a, 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 quite a bit of work with um, university partners on trying to measure uh, the effect of the product on uh, soil nitrate levels, mm-hmm. uh, nitrous oxide, and nitrates. I think our biggest collaboration there is at Iowa State University. And so uh, there they've built... Um, outdoor mesocosms. So these are hmm. kind of trays that you put four rows of corn in about, uh, it goes about a meter deep with real soil and they're about three or four meters long and they can catch all of the nitro, all the water that goes into it and then comes out the bottom, they catch. Hmm. And so they're able to precisely quantify the difference in uh, loss um, with or without the product or due to a change in fertilizer. Uh, and so that's one big place that we're doing a lot of effort there with Iowa state and as well as in field studies. That's sure. cool. That is cool. Are you using imagery or, or anything like that to evaluate in season performance of the crop to, I don't know, try to predict yield or, or see exactly when uh, issues might be occurring with, with biological activity yeah. over the course of the season? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on our field trialing program, we've done uh, quite a bit of work on UAV. I mean, we find in the early state and uh, UAV has been really helpful for our field trial managers to uh, evaluate a site, right? Uh, yeah. Especially in the COVID year when they couldn't go <laughs> visit as easily, you know, having this sure. UAV data that you could just see, hey, there, you can see last year's trial sometimes painted really clearly yeah. uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. in, that, in, that, in that data there. Um, you know, we've also been looking at UAV. We've seen pretty good yield predictivity out of UAV in our field trials. We find that uh, it's um, about as good as taking yearly samples. Um, uh, and so that's uh, on, on some of our larger trials. So that's been pretty good. And in this year, we're, we're going to be exploring deeply um, satellite data. Um, and I'm particularly excited that Planet Labs has recently their new satellite fleet now has um, the Red Edge wavelength. Red Edge, yeah, absolutely. Because yep. uh, we we get a really a lot of benefit out of Red Edge, and so we we're very hopeful because uh, a satellite will really scale in a way that it's a little bit harder for UAV to scale. Yeah, we, we <laughs> Sam and I were literally having a conversation earlier today with uh, one of our research technicians in our lab about how satellite is is definitely the most scalable of the imaging technologies out there right now. Uh, so can you go into a little bit about some of the challenges with these measurements? So we're talking about something that people can't even see, and it's something very small. And so how do you like measure something that's very variable across uh, spatially, but also just because of the size that it is and how some of those challenges? Yeah, well, uh, I guess there's a lot of different aspects of that. I mean, <laughs> one, one aspect is simply you, you do multi-location trials with high replication, right? And we look at, um, for primary, we're 
looking not just at yield, but in the plant nitrogen response, we took a huge number of whole plant nitrogen samples. And mm. that's the direction we're going as we want in the early stage of our product pipeline to maybe making decisions on nitrogen rather than yield because nitrogen wins don't always translate to yield. And then the later stage, of course, we want to test and ensure that we have the agronomy dialed in so that that nitrogen does translate to yield. But if you're thinking about that first set of screens, uh, it's really all about nitrogen um, for us. Um, you know, the other aspect is we do, we've done a ton of root digs. Um, and uh, what we'll do is we'll dig up the roots and we'll um, process them and pull a section out and test how much, how many, uh, how much of the genetic material quantitatively of our microbe is there. Um, that's a, that tends to be, there's a lot of reasons that tends to be a noisy measurement. Uh, you know, sometimes the microbes, if you keep them too warm, the plant too warm, they multiply, even too cold <laughs> and so forth. So there, mm -hmm. you, you, you grab the, you know, maybe it's not as much on that section you sampled. Maybe it's somewhere else on that one particular route. So there's a bunch mm -hmm. of noise there, but that does really get us uh, some binary data that helps us say, hey, are we colonizing consistently across our, our growing region? And we want to be able with any product we put out there, we'd rather have a product that works uh, well everywhere than works uh, extremely well, but only in 10% of growers fields. Hmm. Absolutely. Sure. So uh, all of these methods that you're talking about, I think are, are obviously like very effective in terms of measuring, um, what you're trying to measure, but I imagine they're also pretty low throughput. Are there, uh, I guess, how much of a challenge is that low throughput to actually getting to decisions more quickly or being able to cover more acreage in terms of your uh, research trials? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely the, the colonization is pretty, is pretty low throughput. Um, you know, the UAV and, um, data is, is pretty scalable. Um, and satellite data is, is very, very scalable. Um, some from, some from a contract research perspective, it's, you know, you need someone to grab leaves at sure. a certain growth stage. They can grow grab leaves yeah. at a certain growth stage. So that doesn't worry me as much. Sure. So building on that imagery part, um, are you guys using some method to ground truth that imagery and making sure that it's from what you've set up in the research and not just from something else? Uh, what, how are you doing to verify this imagery? Yeah, verify the imagery. Um, you know, one aspect is when you go and do a flight, you have a reflection calibration panel so that you assure that you have the color balance. Uh, mm -hmm. so that's one thing. Um, you know, whenever we look at this data, we do a set of QC to ensure that the stitch went correct. We're not seeing any weird artifacts and we, you know, we'll, we'll downgrade data from areas that we don't think uh, has met that spec clouds. I don't know if you've flown a UAV, you know, the difficulty of clouds in terms of, yeah. <laughs> uh, of getting a good data set. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a few of the things we're looking at. And then, uh, of course we, we do take ground truth samples. We are taking things like plant height and whole plant nitrogen. And we do try to connect those two together. Um, you know, I generally find that the UAV is actually a little bit of a better predictor of yield than whole plant nitrogen. Uh, and so that's something we're looking into the next year to see, okay, you know, what is the UAV not seeing about the total nitrogen in the plant? Uh, but it's seeing somehow a little bit more of what translates to yield. Sure. <laughs> so w one thing that 
I guess I perceive Pivot Bio to be doing is they're doing a lot of stuff, not only on the field trial side, or I guess the traditional like small plot trial, but they're y'all are also kind of looking at on-farm trials, right? Yes. Are you using any of these data streams? And I guess with satellite, this may be more possible, but are you using any of these these imagery data streams on the on-farm trials in addition to kind of the, the field trials right now? Or is that something? Coming? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think of the on-farm trials as, as part of our field trial program. That's how that's how integrated it is in, in, in my mind, right? We, we uh uh, you know, we we have to go from small plot to middle size plot, all the way to on farm full strips. Um, you know, we're using the satellite data to definitely have grow conversations and do quality control. Um, you know, I think this will be the year where we're going to really see can we use this to also um, uh, find 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 the winners early. So we do a lot of on-farm trials with our research. So that's from like the academia perspective. But I would love to hear what kind of challenges you guys run into with some of these on-farm trials, like how many replications you shoot for, how many, um, what challenges can be with how the farmer's current or typical practices are. Data quality. Run into. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there, there's just a lot of, I say it's a lot of <laughs> physical, practical challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're working with a farmer, uh, their their primary job is not to help you do a field trial. Their primary <laughs> their primary job is to farm, and so they're mm-hmm. you know uh, there's a lot of um, time and tension that needs to go in. A lot of patience, right? You know, where we we have to function on their timetable a bit uh, when we're getting the data. Um, I think uh, you know it's worked really well when we've done on farm trials when. Our agronomists are deeply involved in management with it, um, going and making sure, uh, helping pick the site, um, you know, looking at that data to help, you know, take that work off of the farmer and onto our team. And then uh, usually coming when we do the yield data collection and the sample collection, the agronomist is going outside uh, to help with that. So those touch points and the reminder that the farmer who is our partner that, you know, this trial is important to us and we want to make sure that it, it, it does well for them and that they get some good data about how this product um, performs on their field. Um, you know, replication, uh, I'd love more and more replication on on-farm trials. Yep. Uh, I, I've done some very highly replicated um, research farm experiments and it uh, you know, when you, I, I have a replicated six replicated replicates on one field. Uh, we did UAV, we did yield. We got our score of like 0.95 on that wow. site when we averaged to the plot level. So there's real benefits to combining. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that replication with the large plot size and, and therefore averaging of some variability of a farm trial. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you kind of mentioned the site selection process and having the agronomists involved in that. Is there any like quantification or I guess like uh, kind of site characterization on the data side that you do prior to taking a a field in, like as far as assessing how much variability there is out there and how much you're going to have to deal with, or if there's a certain soil type that you want to look at? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, certainly looking at the soil types, a big part, we don't, we want to have, you know, all of our different products, you want to be able to like pull samples from all the same soil type and compare data from within the same soil types. That's, you know, looking at a Sergo map or something like that. Uh, We're also, when we're doing siting, you know, um, my colleague, Alice, uh, she's going to be looking at the satellite data and looking at it historically, right? Because you can go back 
we've gone back uh, and, you know, you, we had, I remember one site where you could see the soybean trial from three years ago Yeah, uh, in the outline of the site. So you really got to go back, make sure that there's nothing uh, odd in the previous years. Uh, and that's going to be a really strong indicator. And so it's really not about, I'd say it's more about avoiding um, things that are probably going to uh, get in the way than sure. really trying to be a, a perfect uh, site selection. Can you shed some light into how you are quantifying the data to see that interaction of the genetics and the environment and then the management and how all those things kind of work together to make maybe the products work a little better? So, you know, we're, when we're doing our field trial program, we're not just field trialing, um, for the success of our product. Um, we're also looking at, uh, various different hybrids and, um, we're looking at, um, uh, across different soil types and we do a little bit of soil mapping. Uh, you know, I think where the future of this lies is, is going to be actually in the partnership with the customers, because when we talk about environment and management, if I do 30 locations on a field trial, that's a lot of locations, but of course there, you know, that doesn't, when you think of all the different ways farms can be different, uh, 30 30 doesn't, is not, not that many. Uh, and so our grower customers, they're trying out the real hybrids. They're trying out all these different practice management practices. And so I think, you know, one of our, our longer term goals is to be, uh, a, a partner to those growers and, uh, you know, help, uh, and, and, uh, you know, use their data to help, uh, understand where that product is working. Um, now there's a lot of complexity with that, that I'm sure our sales and marketing people and, uh, know, cause, uh, like I said, you know, what I said about our, our, our grower partners goes double for our customers, like that's their data, right. About their field, not ours. But, uh, I do think if we're going to really understand in agriculture, why products work, how they work with interacting with soil conditions and management conditions that does require um, the kind of diversity of data that only the customer base really has as a whole. So as you, as you seek to kind of build that diversified data set and, you know, you're trying to aggregate data, I I assume, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but across kind of your large scale field trials, your medium plot, and then your small plot, what are some of the challenges of getting the different data structures that you have across those different fields combined into that data set and making everything work together and make sense to where you can actually use a machine learning algorithm or something like that to make sense of the data? Yeah, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of practicalities there. Uh, You know, a lot of it is around standardization. You know, we really try to, you know, we have samples being taken, use standard forms, right? Uh, If someone does something that's an exception, right? There's there's 10% or 20% of exceptions or 80 to 90% of the work because you're like, where was this taken? Like, what did they do there? Why did they do it? How do I think about it? Um, And that's partially because, you know, when we do our protocol, there's kind of an experiment in mind and there's kind of a data structure around it. And we'll even build that into the database at the beginning. And if something different comes back, you know, uh, try to figure it out um, how to deal with that. You know, the other thing we really stress is uh, QC scoring on plots. Um, so, you know, uh, using, you know, a, a combination of people walking those fields and hand rating them and also observations 
from the UAV, right? So, you know, I definitely looked at one site and there was weeds all through one rep, right? Okay, well, yep. right. Uh, we're going to score that at the yep. yellow or red and we're going to have a note on that, right? And uh, I think as we, we build that up, actually, we'll start to understand which of our uh, our the issues you see in the field are really affecting performance, right? And start to say, oh, maybe we've been calling that a yellow and, uh, and we should be calling that a red. Um, a little earlier, you mentioned how you're mapping some of these fields or some, getting some of that spatial data. Can you go into that a little bit more? What kind of soil data are you making or collecting to get that data? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've certainly, uh, on some of our research farms, we've taken soil samples on every plot to understand the variability and see how predictive it is. Um, we've tested out uh, a number of different um, soil mapping rigs, electrical connectivity, um, swap maps, um, soil optics, uh, gamma probe to see, hey, are these going to give us some predictivity uh, and give us something, hopefully, you know, I think, you know, some of those Sergo maps certainly provide a lot of value, but uh, there can be places where, you know, they're not really representing the full variability in the field or where the, the boundaries in them are not quite reflecting the reality. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you, so you mentioned a lot of, uh, kind of on the go mapping technologies for soil there. Um, Mm -hmm. and this is maybe, I'm guessing that there is going to be some variability in terms of colonization in the field based on soil type and some of those different soil factors. Have you seen, or, or are, are there any technologies being developed that you're aware of that would allow for on the go mapping of soil microbial communities or anything like that? I mean, I know that would probably be the Holy grail, but. Yeah, it kind of kind of be the holy grail. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm excited about where that might go, and uh, uh, you know, uh, that's because of uh, there's been a ton of R and D uh, in how to measure microbes and biological life due to COVID, right? And so you have all these people scaling up portable tests, yeah, and reducing costs. And I think uh, hopefully soon we're we're going to be at the point where there isn't the need for the a billion COVID tests. Right, <laughs> a year or, or so. horrible, horrible tests, and then I think uh, some of those people will start looking at new applications. And there's been a long history of agriculture uh, adopting technologies from medicine after medicine has really pushed down the cost and got into certain proof points. Interesting. So, yeah, can we dive into that a little bit more? Maybe ex- uh, describe how the current like biological testing is like. Is it sent to a lab? Does it take a long time? What are you actually looking at? And then how do you hope that that does yeah, improve it, in efficiency? Yeah, it's sent to, it's sent, you, you pull samples and you send them to a lab um, and you've really got uh, a few problems there. One is uh, the biology is alive, so it is changing, hmm. <laughs> shifting. So, uh, you know, the ideal way that uh, if, you, if you're at a university, you'll do it is you'll put it on dry ice or put it at two degrees uh, above freezing, depending upon what you're doing. And uh, that's very logistically complicated. I think we had a colleague try to find dry ice in rural Arkansas once and had to drive to, <laughs> uh, you know, that's not going to scale. So we're, we're um, uh, and that does lead to, I think a good lab could probably give you a turn in a week. That's, that's totally doable. But if we're talking about, hey, we want to really map out the field, you need an on-the-go system. Um, uh, or at the very least, you want to be able to actually process that data, uh, process that sample field side. 
Can you also speak to, are you expecting like proven to work kind of on its own or will it have to work in tandem with some other like strong practices? So whether that's, you know, maybe using a nitrogen model or some remote sensing, do you see it more as a system or hoping that this product will really do well independently? I mean, we think the product stands on its own. Um, you know, that said, there may be nitrogen management practices uh, changes, right? So uh, maybe the grower will be able to reduce their side dress, maybe a little to reduce their application rate. Uh, also, you know, I think one area we want to figure out is how, how, how does the effect change depending upon the, how lossy that soil is. Now that's going to obviously change from year to year. I think this past year was a very low loss year, really dry. And the year before was a very high loss year. Um, we definitely saw on some of our highest loss sites, um, last year or two years ago, really, I guess it's already 2021, uh, in the, in those, in those, uh, 2019 fields, we saw some exceptional responses. And that's because those fields due to the loss were getting nitrogen limited, but our microbe, which lives on the root was not washing away with the rains. It was staying and it was continuing to produce, um, nitrogen for those plants. It, we're, we're kind of talking about this whole idea of being able to cut back nitrogen now. And that kind of leans us into this conversation about sustainability. Uh, and you mentioned that it's kind of what drew you to working at pivot bio. Yeah. So I guess one thing I'm curious about on the data side is, are y'all developing data streams that are going to help um, farmers to benefit from the value of, uh, I guess, using more sustainable products like biologicals and, and kind of gain value in their, their products from their fields? Yeah, we hope that's a place that we can, we can uh, eventually bring our customers in partnership with us. Um, you know, uh, that, you know, we, you know, part of our program with our customers is a data program. Right. And uh, in exchange for providing us data, um, you know, they gain a, uh, a rebate on the product. Uh, and our hope is that will eventually evolve into the interaction by which uh, we can help them uh, get the sustainability benefit for their products. So, where do you hope to see the agriculture industry and this biological space go in the next five to 10 years? I liked your analogy to the, you know, the biological the biology like in our gut and like you can recommend something based upon that like do you see that in agriculture where based upon something current condition you can have a personalized uh recommendation mm -hmm. um i think you know biologicals are one of one of the more challenging things to recommend uh, in a really specific way because you know that while um everything above the soil is monoculture not the case below the soil. Mm -hmm. you've, got to, you've got to solve for that. And I do think we'll start to understand better, um, you know, what microbes are working better by soil type based on uh, kind of conditions like, you know, what is the pH, how, how oxygen rich or poor is it? So some of these, um, how textured is the soil and its electrical conductivity. And I think we'll start to see um, those kind of factors affecting which biological gets recommended. And I think we'll go there first. I think we're a while, a long way off from where someone can, you know, map the field for the microbial communities and understand what every single square meter 
needless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's going to be exciting, I think, to see how this whole space develops. I think biologicals maybe one of the most uh, revolutionary things that we've seen. I don't know. It's it's the most yep. different idea I think that I've seen anybody have about how to approach nitrogen management in recent history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're 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 trying to you know push a new path forward in uh, how the farmer uh, gets it. Uh, gets their, gets their plant nutrition. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I would point when, when you, when you look at people who are the yield champions out there, uh, they are very, very careful in how they provide nutrients to their, to those plants. Cause you know, any moment in which the plant is under nitrogen deficiency is going to be a hit on its final productivity. Uh, so we're really hopeful that our product will uh, eventually in our future products will, will, will raise the yield ceiling uh, for grower customers. If, if somebody wants to go and learn a little bit more about Pivot Bio, where would you first send them? Where do you think is the best resource for people to learn more about you? Well, first place I, I'd send you to is uh, pivotbio.com. Uh, you can look on our website. We have a, a ton of different information. Uh, you know, if you're interested in it from a, a customer, uh, standpoint, you know, we have a, a customer success office in Ames, Iowa, that takes phone calls from uh, growers all the time who have questions about the product of how well it works and uh, how to use it. Cool. And if you're an academic, uh, we actually have a couple papers that have been published this year on uh, how our product works. And that's, you know, if you want to learn a little bit about biology, that's where I would go. <laughs> sure. Also, before we finish, do you mind talking a little bit about the opportunities at Pivot Bio if people want to get involved? Yeah, we, we are hiring a whole bunch. If you go to pivotbio.com careers, you can see all the positions ranging from working in the lab um, to working in the field uh, or managing our data. Uh, we also have a very robust internship program. Um, you know, our plant team, our greenhouse team always hires a number of interns and they'll be partially helping to process sample, but also a research project to give someone at the undergrad or master's level, real understanding of, uh, of real biological research experience. Uh, and, uh, my team is hiring, uh, quite a number of, uh, data science, uh, interns for the year. Uh, we really always need quite a bit of help during the summer. Uh, with the big rush of, of data and uh, requests that comes in from our field, our field team. And so uh, if any of those roles uh, interest you, uh, just hop on our website, pivotbio.com slash careers and uh, apply to something of interest. And what is one piece of advice that you would like to leave our listeners with that are interested in learning more about this? I'd say one piece of advice is that I, I do think the next uh, revolution in agriculture is going to come from understanding a a cropping system as an ecosystem where there's a lot of different interacting biological parts and that we can get synergies that work together and create uh, benefits in terms of production, uh, in terms of economic value, and in terms of uh, enhanced soil health and uh, sustainability. Thank you to David Brown from Pivot Bio for joining us on the Farm Bits podcast. It was interesting to learn more about Pivot Bio and how the efficacy of their products is being evaluated using digital technology. For me, my favorite part of this conversation with David was his discussion of how they view all of their field trials. So their large scale farm trials, medium scale trials, and small plot trials 
to be equivalent parts of their evaluative data set. So in my opinion, this is a really good perspective to have as all of these data sets are really important and can contribute to aggregate decisions uh, across environments, across soil types, across managements. Uh, and so I, I just really think that they all contribute well. However, there are a lot of challenges that are associated with structuring data to make it compatible across all these different trial types. And so I give a lot of credit to David and his team for taking on that task uh, and being willing to put that work in in order to get value out of the data on the back end. Absolutely. Yeah, my favorite part was hearing some of the unique challenges to a biological product, um, such as that it can grow too fast or too slow or how to store or ship the product. Um, those are things that we often don't think about with our crop inputs. And then you have, you know, David's team and they're working on the additional challenge of how do you quantify that and analyze it. And I just thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, thinking about having to drive two hours in rural Arkansas to get dry ice and, and <laughs> having to be a kind of a, a must do in order to get quality data, it's kind of hard to believe. Yes, it is. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Farm Bits podcast. Tune in next week for another episode discussing tech innovations, driving forward planting capabilities. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We'd like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to the members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect reviews of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits.